Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Huskies on Tap, a podcast for the Huskies by the Huskies presented to you by Fatty's Pub and Grill and brought to you by On Tap Sportsnet. I'm your host, Brandon Suarez. You can follow me on Twitter at BDON300. And today I'm in the presence of a champion, not only of the MAC regular season title, but the postseason title as well. Today, I'm joined by NIU men's soccer head coach, Ryan Swan. How are you today, coach? I'm well. Thank you for having me. First and foremost, congratulations on silverware. I also saw that you were able to take home the, the coaches of the year for the MAC this, this year as well. What has this season been like, you for, been like for you from a coach's standpoint? You know, I remember being at the press conference at the beginning of the season, and now we're sitting here in your office at the end. And you guys have a uh, match tomorrow against Oakland in the – is it the College Cup again? Well, so it's just the NCAA National Tournament. College Tournament. Cup is just the, the last four teams. So we'd love to be chatting in a month uh, when we're there, but uh, yeah, not quite yet. So from a team perspective, what do you want to see from your team throughout this tournament? We just want to see them kind of continue the things they've been doing for the last you know, several months. Um, we were excited about this group of players. Um, obviously, the majority of them have been working for for the last few years and then we added a couple of pieces this season that we thought could uh, really help us kind of finish the job of, of something that we've been building here. And so um, it's been really good. We've been really happy with, with what we've done and their commitment on the field. And um, I think the results are showing it. So, yeah, just kind of a continuation of, of things they've been doing to make us uh, successful so far. And then from a coach's standpoint, take us through, you know, the moment the golden goal goes in. Obviously, it was a corner kick. The ball kind of kicked around in the box a little bit. And then Nick was able to get – or was it Nick or Anthony? Yeah, Nick. It was Nick. I get him confused sometimes. But Nick was able to to knock it home quite a finish. What was that moment like for you as a coach, you know, to see your team complete the goal that you set out at the beginning of the season? Yeah, I mean, it was tremendous. It was, uh, you know, going into the overtime period, we thought we'd been pretty dominant, especially in the second half of the game. And, uh you know, there is always the concern that as things went into overtime, the golden goal can, can always go either way. And penalties are always looming after that. But I just, it never felt like a panic for us on the sidelines. It, I don't think it felt like a panic on the field. The guys maintained their composure. We're creating opportunities. And even although Malcolm hit the crossbar and Nick hit the crossbar, you know, as we got to the closing stages, it just looked like there was still that belief we'd get another look. And, you know, it was that combination. It was Anthony, I think, got on to the end of the corner and, his touch kind of bounced around a little bit and Nick was there to, to smash it home. It was, uh, I suppose there was a sense of relief, but I think it was just jubilation more than anything that was there. I saw the uh, the video, it went viral on social media after, and it just looked like the team was having so much fun with the celebration. They, you know, the fans too, there was a lot of fans that I saw the last few weeks uh, out supporting the team. So that's always good to see on campus. As far as tomorrow's match, so you guys play against Oakland. What style of play should uh, Husky fans be looking out for in this Oakland side? Yeah, well, just as, as you mentioned, it was to, I want to give a shout out to the Husky fans. Um, <clears throat> they've been incredible, especially over the last month or so. You know, and as we were building steam, I don't think it's a coincidence. It was at the time as the crowds were getting bigger, and you know, our women's soccer team and our, our softball team, and uh, you know, we saw football guys out there. I mean, the, the support that we've received from student athletes here at NIU and just the community in general has been truly tremendous and I don't I don't think we can overstate how important that has been to, to what we got to so yeah first and foremost we really appreciate um, what they've done for us uh, with regard to Oakland you know just as we've won the, the regular season and the, the conference tournament they've done the same thing in the, in the horizon so very good team uh, very competitive while we haven't played them in the last couple of years we've we have seen them on scouting reports several times because they've 
they played several common opponents of ours. So we're expecting them to be very tough, very hard-working team, and uh, they got some really dangerous players in the attack and third of the field. So we have to to be aware of of, of them on the counter attack and uh, their ability to to get forward and strike the ball from distance. And then from your perspective, you're the head coach of. I would say probably about like 20, 25 young men. What's the most rewarding part about your job? You know, one of the things that I think has really shone out this year, and we, we've talked about this as a, as a coaching staff, is just how much fun our, our team is. And you mentioned it in the celebration. I mean, that's a that's an everyday thing for us. And so that's from a rewarding side as a coach, to be able to step on the field to, to guys that truly enjoy being around each other. I think that that speaks to the great job that my, my staff has done recruiting-wise where we've brought good people in here. But also seeing guys go on to, to success on the field and um, getting to work with these guys on a day-to-day basis. There's so many rewarding sides to it. Obviously, the soccer side comes out in front, but when we, we spend time with the guys on buses and road trips and you know at dinner, and just to see the, the quality of people we have and, and just know the success that they're going to go on beyond NIU, whether it's on the soccer field or not, just to know that we've been some small part of that, I think is probably the most rewarding thing for any coach. And then from a recruiting standpoint, what are some of those like qualities or intangibles that you look in a player that, you know, doesn't have anything to do with soccer, like as in a person, what type of people are you recruiting? One of the things that we always sell um, to recruits when we talk to them is, is how important our culture is here uh, within the team. And I, I truly believe that. And I know that's it's kind of become a buzzword a little bit. Um, the culture the is changing, though, around NIU right now. No, it, it absolutely is. And I think we, we see that within our team. So um, one of the things, that, that doesn't just happen. I think you, I think the coaching staff throughout the athletic department here is, is phenomenal. And you can see coaches truly making a difference. For us, it's on the recruiting side, when these student athletes or prospective student athletes come in, as much as we've seen them play on the field and we've watched videos on them, seen them live, the interactions we have with them here in the office or when we're walking around campus or when we see them chatting to our guys, it's probably the most important thing because we, we we know that disrupting a strong culture can happen. You know, so a couple of guys that aren't bought into it can throw things off a little bit. So it's important to us when we're, we're talking to, to these prospects that, that we get a good feel that they're going to come in, they're going to represent our program, represent our athletic department in the, in the right way. And um, I think we're, we're fortunate. Obviously, when we're having success, we we attract more of these quality prospects as well. So um, on the one hand, it makes it easier. On the other hand, it's, you know, we've, we get to be more selective here and we've got to make sure that as a staff, we get, get those decisions right about who comes into this program. And then for your team now, the guys that you currently have on the roster, obviously every game you can only play 11 people plus the subs that you put in. Who are some players that haven't been able to consistently get on the field yet, but you see the progress in training and in practice that you think will will pop when they get their opportunity? You know, for all the individual accolades that we've picked up, and obviously you can look at the stats and kind of see the the heroes and and the big moments in the games, the, the biggest thing I think that we have has been the, the depth of our squad and uh, and that, that can be tough as a coach because we see the guys out there working hard in, in every session and you know talk about the culture like contributing to that and so um you know the best example of it i think is probably dylan banker who you know he saw limited minutes he, i think he'd been in maybe seven eight games uh during the course of the year and then suddenly our, our captain center back um harry jolly went down with a knock against um Bowling Green and Dylan stepped in. So to ask someone to step into a conference semi-final game 
we're winning one zero, and now he's kind of centre back position is so important to you know maintaining the shutout. He he stepped in. I thought he was phenomenal there, and Harry wasn't able to come back and play in the final. And so Dylan is now backing up a semi final performance. We played forty five minutes to then being asked to play nine well, hundred five minutes in the final, and uh, I think he was tremendous there. But so Dylan's a great example of it. But you know the, the likes of Camilo Estrada and uh, Adrian Corona. Who've both been in the starting lineup, and uh, but then bounce out of it, whatever reason may be, because we look at our opponent, we look for something different, or someone's just performed really well at training. Those guys just keep, they keep working really hard at training, and as soon as they're called upon, they're ready to go, and uh, they're just exceptional—not just exceptional soccer players, but exceptional team players as well for what they've done. And then we, we've got a whole host of guys of freshmen who who haven't seen the field yet this year, but are just grinding every day at training and. And are making us better. So, uh, you know, I think Quao Serrano and Ian Drake are a couple of guys who, who step to the to the top of my, my mind here as just phenomenal in training yesterday. And here we are in the fourth season. Those guys haven't seen minutes in the regular season yet, but but they know that what they do in the field matters. And I think they know that they're going to be an important part of, of the future of this program as well. Yeah, and I think that goes to the culture that you and the other coaches here on campus are building. And it's like, Say, for example, you watch the celebration that we talked about. You couldn't tell who was in the starting 11 if you, unless you knew that the, star, the non-starters were wearing coats and right, stuff, you know? Yeah. Everyone looked all bought in. The celebration looked great. You guys have looked great out there on the field this year. Uh, take us through when you found out that you were being named Matt Coach of the Year. Was it like a phone call? Did someone come into your office and tell you? Or um, No, I think it just – I think you just found out, you know, the Mac sends out uh, an email – with the award winners and uh, and it's before it's made public. So I think it's, I think we get it 12 hours or so before it becomes a uh, knowledge. You know, obviously it's a, it's a great honor. It's, I do think that the Mac maybe has to revisit the, the title of that. I think a lot of the other conferences, I know nationally we now talk about coaching staff of the year because this is not a coach of the year thing as far as an individual award. I mean, right after our game on, on Sunday, Andrew, um, didn't really get to enjoy the celebrations. Andrew Bordelon, he was uh, headed to Chicago to jump on a flight to fly down to Dallas, where he was down at the Junior College National Championships. Been there for the last two days. He got kind of 5 a.m. flight this morning to come back in. And so that's the sort of commitment that from the coaching staff has led to the, the success. And, uh, you know, Tyler uh, has been the last couple of days just grinding out every small detail about Oakland first to get ready for for tomorrow. So there's so much that has gone into getting us here. Um, you know, even with Jack Mathis, who was here for the last four years, left yeah. at the absolute wrong time since we're now <laughs> enjoying the fruits of, of the world. Of the work, but, yeah. but, you know, Jack's still fully invested in, in our programme. We chat to him almost on a, a weekly basis and after every game that he wants to be talking about the players and the guys he helped recruit, the guys he helped uh, coach here. So, the coaching staff has been phenomenal. So getting that award, I think, was kind of validation, I suppose, to a certain extent of what we've done, but I, just to think acknowledgement of how well the team's done. And obviously, as a coaching staff, we've, we've helped build that. So it, it was nice recognition. But I, I, as soon as we get it, you know, I'm delighted for, you know, Nick obviously got player of the year and the other guys got the first team all-conference. The, the, the thing that always jumps into my mind is it's great that these guys or we got these awards, but, man, how did... Harry Jolly not get first. Yeah. How did Tito Lara not get any? And Hockey Vallegas may have been the best centre mid we've seen this year. 
those are the things that pop in. So I kind of move on quickly from uh, from the awards that we've got, and, and then it just reminds us that the individual awards are fantastic, but the win in the conference, winning the conference tournament, getting into the national tournament, all these things are so much more important. So I think it's something we'll probably reflect back upon when the season ends and we can maybe, I don't enjoy it then or just kind of appreciate it. But right now, the focus is more on what's next. Yeah, and on the topic of, you know, being the head coach of a soccer team, you see it week in and week out with club teams and with, you know, the national teams trying to pick the 11 that they're going to put out on the field and all the different approaches that you can take with the different players that you have. If you had to describe your team to someone who hasn't watched them play or maybe someone who's not really too familiar with soccer, what would you describe them, like the style of play as? So I think we're uh, – we like to dominate almost on, on every facet of the – of the game so um we've got very technical players so we enjoy having the ball so when we have it we, we want to have it more than our opponent obviously and um and when we don't have the ball we want to try and make the decisions for our opponent so force them to go where we want them to go so that's been one of the, the big things i think that when you watch us play i think if you were to look back on the stats from the georgia state game so in a conference final which is always difficult i think if you look at the possession stats which only speak to a small part of the game, but we had the ball probably, I would bet it was 65, 70%. Yeah, that's a lot for a game. Yeah, it is. And I think uh, we just enjoy getting on it. Um, And the difference now, I think from, that's always kind of been in my coaching philosophy and the way that I I try and run my teams. The thing that we've got now is, is a little bit more of that, that grit so that when we don't have the ball or when things are, you know, close and getting to overtime, that the guys don't, give up on the not not that teams have ever given up but like it, it's difficult because well this isn't our game our game is having yeah. the ball playing now we've got guys that they don't mind the battle and, and getting stuck in and kind of doing the the sort of uglier side of the game where it's it's not always fun it's, it's not about getting the ball and moving it quickly and, and showing your skills it's about how hey, you've got to work hard to, to earn this and so that's one of the things that i've been particularly proud about is that we've got these players that are fantastic on the ball but are also willing to to do the work off of it. Yeah, and when you have the ball more, you create more chances. You guys had 14 shots on goal, but as anyone who watches soccer, or, you know, as they call it, football, the toughest thing to do is to score goals, you know? it's So to have, you know, the caliber of talent that you have in the final third has been really rewarding for you guys. Does it make your job any easier to have such talented and technical strikers up front? Uh, Well, I mean, it's it's the difference, I think. It's... You can work. I think throughout college soccer, there's uh, there's a lot of really good teams, and I think if you look at the the RPI today, you would see some big big teams that are ranked down closer to 100 rather than closer to the top 10. And the, the difference often is 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 your ability to to put the ball in the net. So yeah. when we've got Nick score, I think he's leading the nation right now. You know, I think 15, he had 15 goals. Yeah, yeah, 15 goals or so. But then oh, on top of that, we've got you know Pepe's got something like seven. And, Anthony's at five or six. We've just got a lot of, of guys that are dangerous. And um, you know, obviously, people, our opponents have been tuning in on, on Nick. We, we saw it against Akron. Every time we had the ball, they were screaming to watch number 13. But the, the fact is, if you do that, you're going to open up space somewhere else for one of these other guys who are, who are very dangerous. And uh, yeah, we, we get the ball in the final third a lot. And, and that ability to find the net is uh, is massive and truly is the difference I think between the teams that are enjoying 
success at the top end of the teams that, that aren't quite uh, getting there. And, and that can change from year to year if someone hits a hot streak or finds that ability to find the net. So let's play a hypothetical here. So like you said, it was kind of nervy going into the extra time period. You know, you need a golden goal. So we'll play a hypothetical golden goal situation, finals of the college cup. You get one choice on how you get the game winning goal off a corner kick from a set piece. So maybe like right outside the 18 yard box or me go bold, a bicycle kick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you, you, I think you always go bicycle kick for that, that memorable moment. It's so rare in soccer. But for us, as we also talked about kind of enjoying the, the grind right now, you know, and, and doing the hard work, I think when you score from a set piece, that's something that, that's been worked on and, and we've spent more time. It's not something I particularly enjoy because I always feel it takes away from the parts of the game I enjoy. So, yeah. uh, again, I've been very fortunate that Andrew and, and Tyler have, have focused a lot on that. Um, so when we score from that, because at the end of the day, it usually comes down to you working hard, you know, get a quality of a service, but then working harder than, than your opponent in, in a dangerous area. So there's certainly a reward from that. But I think when you look at, you know, you talked about bicycle kick, whenever, whenever you score something from open play where you've created it, yeah. guys, that, that's the most rewarding, I would think. And then I saw that you played soccer at the college level and then you played a little bit after college. Do you ever get out there and kick the ball around with the guys, show them a couple moves? Yeah, my moves have uh, diminished significantly. <laughs> I think as a player, I relied a lot on athleticism and that seemed to be the first thing that, that went for me. So uh, <laughs> I, I don't get out there quite as much. I'll jump in every now and again for uh, if we need a bouncer that doesn't have to do much running. But, uh, you know, Andrew and Tyler, they'll still jump in a little bit. But... Uh, I'm afraid that father time has <laughs> brought my game down quite a bit. I hear you. So tell us a little bit about your playing career. What position did you play? And then uh, the college and some of the clubs that you got the opportunity to play for. So, you know, grew up in Scotland and uh, was playing from you know, as young as I can remember. Um, and then I was from a quite a young young age. I was playing at a pretty good level. And I was I was a centre back and I was with a, a couple of professional teams at their, at their youth levels at St. Johnston, who's my hometown team, and uh, Dundee United. Um, and this was probably at 15 years old or so. And a lot of the pros, if you look at them now, like the guys that go on to the high level, for the most part, are leaving school and signing pro contracts around 16 years old. So I, I was kind of in, in that mix, but I was a five foot nothing center back which is a so it, it seemed you don't have to be huge for soccer but five foot yeah yeah i was there and i wasn't there so i kept kind of getting told hey maybe you're a midfielder and maybe you're a wide player maybe you're a forward so i kept just getting pushed up the field further away from a, <laughs> for a long goal so uh yeah i didn't quite make the grade at a uh at that, that sort of 16 years old i wasn't offered a professional contract and so um you know i finished up high school and was kind of I was involved uh, the Scottish schoolboys. They have a Scotland obviously is a lot smaller than the US, but they have trials through each region in Scotland, and you advance through. So I got to the, the quarterfinal stage of the, the Scottish schoolboys. So this is players that haven't left to go pro or still in, you know, junior senior year of high school, and so that that was a pretty good level to get to. And the guys that I have no qualms about, I had to make it further. The guys that went ahead of me, a couple of them ended up playing with the Scotland national team. So it was a very very high level there. Um, and then I was playing like at a semi-pro level for a number of years uh, prior to coming over to to the U.S. And as you mentioned, I came over and played college, and here I am. Yeah, I have a buddy who uh, who 
plays like a little bit of the semi-pro and he works with the fire youth academy as like a trainer so i know as far as like i guess you would say like from the ground up soccer has the best developmental programs because like you said you know 15 16 years old you're signing to go to a professional academy was there like school there as well or how did that all work out and you know when you talk about signing with a professional academy that's done and it's happening here in the u.s now as well so the chicago fire have got youth level teams but you start getting identified at 10 11 12 years old that's crazy yeah yeah so so yeah then you're invited into the the academies of these programs but at 16 years old that's when we're talking about these guys going pro and, and you, yeah. look at, you know wayne rooney coming up and scoring goals in the english premiership at 16 17 years old so some of the, the top top level players are getting out and doing that for the most part there, there's not schooling involved yeah like you're a pro football player and that's that's what you're going to you're going to do i do think there is a little more emphasis has been placed in that um you know it's been 25 years since since i lived in scotland so yeah in in that time i do think they've recognized that that not everyone's going to make it in fact the, the percentage is very low of the ones that are going to make it so i i do i do think teams are more cognizant of that and they're they're encouraging their the players and other even requiring some of them to get some level of education, education yeah because yeah, i mean you know a catastrophic injury we saw last year with raul jimenez on uh, wolves had right. his head split open there yeah. you know as someone who follows american football as closely as i do I, i've been watching a lot more european football mm-hmm. i'm sorry i kept saying soccer i know i was probably <laughs> getting okay, you mad but um there's there's bad collisions every game there's people smacking heads i saw last night there was a red card a guy got like kicked in the neck like mm-hmm. there's there's always something going on and and with European football, no pads. So, well, you got the shin guards, but that's about it. Uh, you talked a little bit about some players. Did you have like a favorite player growing up or do you have like a current favorite player right now? Any, yeah. any of the leagues? Yeah, I mean, you know, in almost all of the other leagues, you know, I was a big Messi fan. Me too. Uh, so it's been, been great kind of watching him come up through it. I, I actually had the privilege of getting to see Cristiano Ronaldo play in person back his first stint at, at, at United, and, and so they're always fun. But right now, I, I love, you know, Mbappe, I think, yeah. is, is a phenomenal player, and Haaland looks like he's going to be up there in that mix. But the likes of Kevin De Bruyne is probably my favourite player to watch. I think the way that I like the game to be played, he just seems to play it with such ease, and his quality and way of passing is, is phenomenal so that, that um, versatile midfielder and you know he does well for Belgium I was a little disappointed to see them not progress further in the Euros but they have like they have a squad they got Lukaku over there they got oh, De Bruyne yeah. but for the young guns right now I don't know why like I just gravitate towards Holland and Mbappe like Holland is I think he's hurt for the rest of the year right now but like he's got like a baseball player size, like a football player size, yeah, and he runs, his pace is incredible. So it, it was really good to see uh, some of those young guys really start to make some noise. Now, I heard you had mentioned a club prior to this, like your hometown club. Is that your your favorite team, or the team you grew up watching? It is. So St. Johnston is uh, from Perth, Scotland. And so I started supporting them when they were the second bottom of the bottom division in Scotland. So yeah. I, as, a, as a fan – in person, I was kind of there as a season ticket holder as they got promoted all the way up to the Premier League. And uh, but this year, the here in, in the early part of twenty one, they won both the, the the Scottish League Cup and the Scottish Cup. So we did the cup double, yeah. um, and no fans were allowed to oh, be in the game. Man. So, so I not only have I missed, I've missed a lot of the successes over the last several years with them. But all St Johnston fans, kind of. But I was very fortunate. That there's a 
after our game, after they won the Scottish Cup this year, um, I was coaching my 10-year-old and our opposing coach was from Scotland. Oh, and nice. It, and it turned, we got to chat and it turned out he would support Hibs, who St. Johnston had just beaten that day. But he had a friend who was a St. Johnston fan. So we met up that night yeah. and kind of had a little celebration in, uh, in St. Charles. So uh, that, that's kind nice. of cool that we, we got to have that here so far from home. But, uh, from a like experience standpoint, so I've never been to Europe. I've never had the opportunity to go to like one of those big like Champions League or like Premier League matches, uh, even the Scottish Premier League. It looks like an incredible environment, like the, the singing, the chants, all that stuff. What's it like going to one of those matches in Europe where soccer is the main sport? Yeah, it's amazing. I, and, uh, you know, again, I've been very fortunate to, you know, I followed St. Johnston through through the years that I see some big games uh, that they've played in. But I've also been fortunate enough to, I, I saw Chelsea play Liverpool. I saw Man United, I mentioned Cristiano Ronaldo playing Fulham. Um, I've got to see Chelsea a couple of times actually. Been yeah. in Newcastle, they're probably my favourite of the of the English team. So yeah, getting down there, just with the passion for the sport. And while there obviously there are other sports in the UK, you know, rugby, cricket are popular, and football's king yeah. there. And there just isn't as much competition. So every you know here, you get around the, the Chicago and you know people are White Sox fans or the Cubs fans or the Bears. You know, they, they, there's so many choices. And I, and I understand you can support multiple of these teams. But when there's one team that's your team and the one sport, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a lifestyle thing. I think it goes with it. So it's, a, it's an incredible thing. And the energy of the games is, is phenomenal. So I'm excited. But we were meant to get my family over last year, but COVID shut yeah. that down. But I'm excited to, to get my kids over to experience some of that because it really is a, one of these sort of bucket list type things. Yeah. And hopefully for them, they're also UK citizens. Maybe they can become St. Johnston fans yeah. and catch some of the big moments for them as well. Yeah, that's one thing. So, like, I do watch a lot of games, but I don't have, like, a team. I haven't, like, picked a team to, like, identify with yet. Yeah. Um, I really like to watch – or I do like watching Wolves. I like watching them. I like watching Liverpool. But I don't want to, like – hop into it and then like pick a team that wins every year. Like I want I want some of the pain with it. You know how sports yeah. are. So, so in your eyes, who is the best ever lace up the cleats? Like the, the best player ever. I, so when I was growing up, you know, my first, the first world cup I remember watching was uh, the 80, 86 world cup in Mexico and Maradona was just, yeah, uh, just different level. And, and so different to the, to the way that I think that, that we, and you know, here we talk about being able to watch so many games from around the world Back then, we didn't have access to channels from everywhere. So I went and watched Scottish Premier League, or back then it was probably Scottish First Division, Second Division games with St. Johnston. There was nobody that played the game yeah. like Maradona. So to see that and the things he could do, just, I mean, he's messy now. Again, I've seen more of Messi just because of all this access. But Maradona was the guy that kind of made me fall in love with what the game could yeah. be and how it could be played. So I think he's always going to be up there for me. I went down a rabbit hole on soccer TikTok last night. Two things. <laughs> I ended up in Manchester United TikTok, which they're going through a lot right now. Uh -huh. And the other one was I saw a video of Maradona, like, uh, was it called juggling with the ball? Yeah. Yeah. Shoes untied, like, just yeah. the guy was hitting it with both his shoulders, his head, all that. So it would have been great if I was old enough to see him play. But, yeah, like, for the younger players, I really, like I said, I like Holland and Mbappe, but – Growing up, Messi was always that guy to me. So being a former player, do you feel like that gives you like a competitive advantage over some other coaches? No, I mean, I think 
there's so many good coaches. I I think to you have to play the game to a certain extent yeah. uh, to get by. But I think if you look at the top coaches out there now, there's a lot of them that may not have been top players as well. I, I think there's again there's so much access to learning, and I think there's there's so many ways that you can become a good coach. Obviously, being able to connect with your players and get out and communicate your message is, is so important. But you know, we could we could right now Google. Pep Guardiola sessions, which everyone does, you'll see Pep sessions being run around the world. But uh, how he runs his session, how he communicates, and his understanding of why he runs his session—not just I'm going to run this building. It, it does just give a lot of access. But but uh, there's so many ways to um, to learn. I just I, I'm not sure how important the, the playing side is. Um, again, maybe from a personal perspective, it. You can connect with your players in, in a way because you understand some of the things we're going through. But I think there's so many of the top coaches right now are not players that necessarily play at the top level. Maybe that allowed them to start their education about coaching yeah. from an earlier age. So I, I, I don't know. I, it, it certainly helps some players. And I think you can, there are, you know, Stephen Gerrard obviously just was dominating up in Scotland uh, the last couple of years and now he's taking the Aston Villa job. So a relatively young player who was a relatively young manager who was a top yeah. player but you, you look at his assistant I think Michael Beale who who's a who was a good player in his own right but not at that yeah. level but I think Gerard has recognized that he's got a top top coach there and allows him to do a lot of the work that you, you saw the success coming from Rangers and I'm sure we'll see from Aston Villa and that's a guy who just put himself in the right situations he's devoted to being a, a coach and uh and he's seen the rewards for that yeah, and I was going to say, I even remember like playing FIFA growing up with Gerard on the team. Yeah. And then now, uh, who's the other one? Xavi got the job at Barcelona. And then there is mm-hmm. one more player that I know, but I can't think of it off the top of my head right now. But yeah, it's uh, there's been a lot going on. And then, like, too, they're trying to extend more teams in the World Cup. They're trying to make it like yeah. every two years. But like, I-, I think that the World Cup is as good as it is right now. And then, too, like, I was listening to some player interviews and it's like, you know, they're playing games last night and the day before, and then this weekend, right, right back at it. And, yeah. you know, like we said, it's a physical sport, 90 minutes. It's a lot of time, and injuries do happen. Uh, I know last night, like, one of the Tottenham Hotspur defenders got hurt in their game. But, yeah, it's it's uh, a lot of games, and they all want that money. That That's the one thing. So. Well, that, that is, I think, a part of the problem with the game at the top end is there's so much money. Yeah. Um, and I think people are trying to milk it for – for everything to get, you know, and I love, I love when the teams come over there in English and Spanish and Italian teams come over here and we get a chance to see them during the summer as part of the preseason yeah. tour. I am not a fan of this proposal to bring regular season games over. You know, I've talked about it, it just the travel and everything else. It's just it, it, it's too much. I think it, it's, it's great they want to expand it into the world audience, but yeah. I think as you were kind of talking about, I think you have to make that commitment to make the sort of pilgrimage to go. Or wherever yeah. you want to go, so I don't think the game needs to come to us. We have access to it on the TV. I think it, it's, it's certainly worth it to go. I understand it's expensive, but yeah, you know Jeremy Reed here in our athletic department. Who knows how he ended up as a Crystal Palace fan? But <laughs> he, he does that. You know, he gets over there and he he'll stay for a week or so over or Christmas when he knows there's a lot of games, so he gets to see his team play a few times. But he also goes out and catches other games when he's over yeah. there, and so that's the way to do it. I'm not a fan of teams trying to come over here as much. I'm not a fan of the World Cup going every two years. I think 
and I'm a bit of a purist. I understand that things change and sometimes they change for the better. But I think there's a lot of things that world football has got right and yeah. maybe should be left alone. Well, and you talked about it a little bit earlier in the episode. I think the relegation thing is the coolest thing in all of sports because it makes you stay on your toes and makes you stay right. competitive. But yeah, like Crystal Palace, Vieira's got them guys firing. They're playing some right. really good football right now. They beat Man City a couple weeks ago and it's been really good to see that, but you brought up an interesting point, you know, about like growing the game over here. You got to kind of take that pilgrimage into your own hands from a, I guess you would say like organizational standpoint, you've been here for, you said 20 years, like you've seen the game grow a lot. What would you like to see to make the game take that next step in popularity over here in the States? Yeah. You know, so I came over and my, my first trip to the U S was in 96. So it was the first year of MLS. And I came over as there was a company, a major league soccer camp. So trying to help grow the game as Major League Soccer was starting here. So we were running camps throughout the country. Um, and so th that was back in the, the days where there was no ties allowed. And, you know, Americans don't like ties. So they were having the MLS shootout where you took the ball from 35 yards in instead of a penalty. And tried to so like it. hockey almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. terrible. Yeah, no, it was not good. So it, there were things trying to engage the fans, which I, I think, I, I get it. You're trying to find ways to make it. Yeah. Know, but, I, now I, I do think that they, they've recognized that maybe the game was okay the way it was yeah. and, and maybe it's okay to tie every now and again. Um, yeah, the next big thing, I think there's a lot of good moves being made. Um, Soccer-specific stadiums, I think, is huge. And then I think clubs are being smart about engaging the community to get the fan base in yeah. uh, right. So that's great. And and one of the other things I think is, is fantastic. And, you know, on the one hand, I, I think the women's game is so big here. I do think that clubs should be looking to, you know, do it together. Like, you know, if you're starting a team, you're going to have a men's team and a women's team. Yeah. Obviously, the facilities have got to be equal and maybe there are even has to be separation where, hey, this is the women's prize field and this is the men's. But, you know, the likes of Kansas City who are now going to have a, a field just for their women's team, a stadium specifically for the, the new women's team down there. I think that's, it's great, and I do think it's a commitment to the women's game. I would like, though, if there had maybe been a just a commitment, whether it had been from sporting or whatever it was, yeah. to say, hey, we're going to have both teams here. They both get they're playing in the same stadium. They both get like excellent training facilities, etc. I, I do worry that if we have branding over two different programs on the men's and women's side, that they're, they're, you're not going to you pull upon the same resources to be yeah. successful. So I, I don't know what the answer is to that. I do love that, that, that obviously there's another soccer specific stadium coming in and for the, for the women's team there in Kansas city. Um, but I think if we are in the same game, so I would love for both teams to be looking at, Hey, how, how do we grow this game both for boys and girls, for men and women? Yeah. And I've even heard that suggestion for like the WNBA and like linking the WNBA teams with the NBA teams. And I don't, I, I personally think that's like a great idea. You see it with the European teams, like the PSGs, the Arsenals, right. all of the world. They all have the, the men's, the women's, the youth. But yeah, like from a worldview, like my goal every time I turn a match on is, is like, I just want to learn something new or see something different. And like, as crazy as it sounds, like I, I've been to a Super Bowl, I've seen not World Series game live, but like seeing that goal hit the back of the net, let's say 93rd, like the Ronaldo one against Atlanta, like right. those yeah. type of goals the like energy like just watching the game i'm obviously not like a man you fan or like a liverpool fan but like just in the heat of the game like seeing something incredible like that when yeah. you're like this game's dead they're going to dribble the ball out i think soccer or i think football 
like for pure moments and like the aesthetic of it, I think it does a lot better than some of the other sports. But um, so what's the breakdown like for you guys if you win tomorrow? So do you guys travel or do you get another home match? No. So the bracket has a, the winner going to pick uh, to play on Sunday. So the turnaround is really fast because obviously yeah. we play tomorrow evening. So, you know, hopefully the game's finished by 8 p.m. And then trying to make travel arrangements yeah. to get to, to pit by, you know, late Friday or early Saturday. It's just there's an awful lot that's going to have to be done. So we're, we're very fortunate that uh, that doesn't fall upon the coaching staff. TJ, our uh, senior administrator yeah. here, is, has been dealing with, and we're so grateful, like dealing with hosting the conference tournament to then uh, hosting a NCAA national tournament game. So he's kind of already got his eye because things have to move so fast. Um, Probably a little bit of a different game day with the NCAA coming too, right? Right, exactly, yeah. So there's there's so much to go on just to – either the MAC had set requirements for the game. Now the NCAA's got some requirements for, for a tournament game. So there's just so much. But, yeah, as soon as the game's done, it's – the NCAA will then be kind of making the travel arrangements for the winning team to head out. So should we win tomorrow, there's just a lot of things that are going to be happening – to try and get flights for the probably the next day. And then do you have uh, any any like final thoughts or words to the Husky fans that we can expect to show out tomorrow? Listen, I know it's uh, it's getting chilly out there, but uh, I think the fans that showed up on, on Sunday for the conference championship game really got a special moment. And at the end of the day, that, that's why we, we support college soccer, or college athletics. Uh, any team is those moments that you, you talked about they, they truly are special and i think whether you're an athlete or an athletics fan like this is part of the college experience that yeah there's just no replicating it so to be there we'll do our best to provide that moment for you but uh we truly appreciate the, the support that we've, we've received and i know we're going to be talking about our players replicating that for the other student athletes as we move into the, the winter and spring sports but uh, it's uh, there's a lot of fantastic things about NIU and our campus. I think if we can raise that level of uh, fan engagement for every sport, it's just going to do even more for our campus. So yeah, please show up. Let's set some records with attendance. Make some noise out there. It's truly appreciated and and, and really makes a difference. And, and and we appreciate you guys. And then one, I got two final ones. So what has it been like to see, you know, you get Nick and Anthony as freshmen to see the growth that they've made. And obviously I'm no scout, but you would assume that those guys could have some pro soccer on the other side of college. What's it been like to see them grow to the level that they've gotten so far? You know, it's tough. We, we, we talk about this as well. Like, so both Nick and Anthony, but then a lot of those other guys that, that came into that class, you know, Pierce O'Carry and Adrian Corona, Diego Sanz, they joined a team that had won three games the year before, you know, five games the, the prior two years before they arrived here. So for those guys to, to commit to coming here, and obviously they had all other options, they're all very good players. For those guys to make that commitment and then to come in and and really make an immediate impact, and then, you know, it's, it's easy to make an immediate impact when the team hasn't been doing well. But then for it never, to never be satisfied with where they were at, it's kind of the thing that's driven us to where we are now. It made recruiting so much easier when suddenly we've got players getting that national recognition and are pushing on to, to big moments. It made that next recruiting class a little bit easier on the next one. And it's led us to where we are now. Uh, those guys just are never satisfied with where, where they're at. And we talk about it as a team, but I think you look at those guys 
there's just there's no ceiling. There's no. It's never been. It'll be enough just to get into the conference tournament, or it'll be enough to to get a home game, or, or it'll be. And we, we're still not talking about that. We're still looking at let's keep this thing rolling. So uh, uh, yeah, that that desire to to succeed and that um, that willingness to put put the grind in is, is fantastic for those guys. I think we'll we'll serve them well beyond college uh, as they go on. I, I would imagine several of our guys will have a chance to go on and play beyond college. What would that mean to you? Have you had players go go on to play in like different leagues so yeah, far? Yeah, yeah, we've got several. Just you know, this, so this is my fifth year here. I think in my second year we had Kevin Rodriguez became the first player in program history to get drafted uh, in a major league soccer. So he was drafted by uh, Minnesota United, and he's still playing his trade, uh, playing USL one. Uh, Christian Molina, um, who even during his senior year got called up to the, the El Salvadorian U20 national team. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, it was fantastic. He missed a few games for us, so I was happy and <laughs> yeah. frustrated. But, uh, you know, Christian went on. He's Those two actually played against it. He, he's playing for Union Omaha, who just won the regular season in USL 1, and they just eliminated Kevin Rodriguez as a Tucson team in the yeah. playoffs. So when you see our alumni playing against each other and playing for these trophies at the, uh, at the professional level, it's phenomenal. And then... Beyond my time here, we've got, uh, you know, Sean Tosh is competing for a USL championship uh, championship uh, in the, these coming weeks with Louisville City. And we've got a number of guys playing over in Europe just now. So there are guys out there. But the next big thing is, is can we get a first round MLS draft pick? Yeah. And then, you know, the, the opportunity to, whether it's getting down to Soldier Field to watch our guys play for the fire or, if the fire don't jump on them, we'll be watching them play against the fire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that opportunity to see these guys play at the highest level here is is the dream. So we we just absolutely love that. Absolutely. And then one final one: where can our listeners follow you at on social media? So uh, you know we've got our we've got a number of uh, accounts with the NIU soccer. So uh, we actually just featured in the top fifty of of all the. Um, soccer programs in the country for our, our media presence oh that's cool that's yeah, awesome yeah. so another trophy <laughs> yeah that's right so um let's see our our twitter handle is i think they're all kind of the same they're uh niu m soccer i believe is our i'm, I'm not great with that you're good. Of the of the like hundred episodes that I've done this on, no one ever has it like right there. That yeah. kind of caught you off guard. I know. Yeah. So NIUM Soccer is our uh, our Twitter handle, and I I don't own a Instagram account or a Facebook account. So <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know either of those. But but we're on Facebook and Instagram, and that's actually where we need some help. But for a uh, I think we had something like sixteen thousand interactions on on Twitter. Yeah. But it was only around about four or five thousand on facebook and instagram so we gotta up our game there i'll keep firing as many retweets and as many yeah, reshares as i can followers there so we again we appreciate uh, everyone following us in there and staying connected to the program and uh, hopefully we keep coming up with, with more good content with goal celebrations and championships absolutely and then any final words ahead of tomorrow's big match in the ncaa tournament against oakland you know i think we've, we've covered the key things it's again Please uh, get your hat, scarf, and gloves on. Come on out and uh, and, and enjoy some college soccer and, and help us push on to the next round of the tournament. And then for those that don't know, what times what times kick off? Six o'clock start, so six p.m. Uh, Central Time kickoff. Um, you know, parking is free. 
believe students are free getting in at yeah. $5. Bring, so. your, uh, bring your ZID students. <laughs> yeah, fabric. So, yeah, we appreciate uh, all the support from NIU uh, community and, and the local community. Perfect. Well, I really do appreciate you for taking the time, Coach Swan. This was the bonus episode that was promised from the Twitter page. Uh, like I said at the beginning, they've done so well this season. Obviously, I wasn't really able to get out and cover you guys in full, but I wanted to have an opportunity to sit down with you ahead of the tournament. And I really do appreciate you for taking the time uh, to hop on this episode of Huskies on Tap. For the NIU soccer game, football match tomorrow night, football match tonight, there will be an away game watch party at Fatty's Pub and Grill obviously the presenting sponsor of this show. So if you aren't able to get out to the match or you don't want to sit out in the cold, we got a cold beer for you waiting right on the tap at Fatty's. But again, this was Huskies on Tap presented to you by Fatty's Pub and Grill and brought to you by OnTap Sportsnet. Today we were joined by NIU men's soccer coach Ryan Swan. We touched all the bases, like he said. We got a little bit into European football, a little bit of his background, as well as uh, the team's background and what to expect in the tournament. But we really do appreciate everyone for listening to this week's episode of Huskies on Tap. And go Huskies. Yeah. I got drinks of living lavish in the kitchen whipping magic. I got drinks of living lavish in the kitchen whipping magic. We got London on the track. I ain't asked now for nothing. I took the heart away. Twelve put me over, coming with the They took my heart away. Heart away. Heart away. Heart away. Jumping in hard.